Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Bad day to be uh, to be Evan. Is that a question or a statement? No, it's a statement. I could ask you as well. Is it a bad day to be you? Uh, yeah. I haven't been able to breathe out of my nose for about... Oh, we're going on close to nine hours now. <laughs> well, the good news is you've always been a mouth breather, so... Nothing yeah, it made it quite point. difficult when I was out practicing today, standing over the golf ball, when it just feels like slime is going to fall out of your face. Wow, gross. Hey, uh, it's just resistance training, so next time I'm feeling better, I'll be amazing out there. <laughs> So Evan told us he he had uh, bad allergies, and our reaction was first to say, "Well, be heavy on the mute button today and not feel better, pal." <laughs> and not only that, Evan, we received enough complaints from people who watch the show on YouTube about how big your screen is because you do the recording that we've actually had to find a workaround to minimize your mug because it was bothering people. Because, uh, well, I mean, some episodes you're inspired, but a lot of episodes you're just Evan, and the that's not uh, it's not too chatty. So I don't feel bad for anyone. You've seen a reduction in size and reduction in breathing. So for once, Brad, I think we come out ahead in terms of uh, health and wellness on this podcast. Um, for now, I have real deep concerns about what my next couple days are going to look like, though. Are you going into war? No. So Crystal went up to visit her dad uh, with mm-hmm. the kids uh, over the last 24 hours. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So... Everything was fine for the first few hours they were there. And then I guess her dad got a call. Uh, he's got shingles, which isn't contagious directly. Yeah, but, but it it's can, shingles. But it can give kids chicken pox. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's not good. So it's not like it's not as contagious as chicken pox, but shit. Do parents still do like chicken pox parties? Is that still a thing or is that like way old? I have not heard of one. And in a perfect world, we're not going to experience it now because I'd like Hanky to be a little older before I go through this little corner of hell. But I mean, well, I'm fine. I had a good day. Today I was like, oh man, it's only Wednesday. And then I realized it was Thursday. I was like, sweet. Guess who has the day off tomorrow? Me. Me. Bullshit. Screw both of you. Although I also just remembered it's a long weekend. All right. Uh, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast with two working nostrils. I'm Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. Zero working nostrils. I'm Evan. And uh, for those on YouTube, this uh, black corner of the screen, I don't know where it is. Uh, I can't tell where it is in the recording until I get Evan's screen capture. Uh, that is, its function is purely as an Evan reduction system. So. Uh, you're welcome for that. And for all the Evan stands, I, I, I don't apologize. Yeah, no, my my screen's for the Evan stands. <laughs> Evan expansion squad. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that I don't read the display names until partway through the episode. It's never intentional. Yeah, see, you want to reduce Evan. I want the screen to be just Evan with our voices just overlaid. Just chaotic evil, just Evan's dumb face, like clicking around. Uh. <laughs> you can, can just hear us in the background, like we're in the next room. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm sure that's how some people watch the show. Uh, anyhow, on this episode of the podcast, um, of course, we're going to talk about the actual hockey games that have been happening. Uh, as we speak, the Flyers and the Islanders are tied 4-4 in game six with about four minutes to go in the third. Um, we are also going to be talking about uh, the other series, um, hirings that have gone on in the NHL that are a touch disappointing because they are not as hilarious as we wanted them to be. And then uh, a notable, another notable trade which is kind of surprising. Uh, we'll be talking about Red Wings, contract rumors and such. And then we have an exciting interview that uh, Brad and I recorded today with uh, Yoki Nevalainen of Dauber Prospects. So that was a great chat we had with him. And we will be um, putting that on for you guys just before we do our prospect profile um, on Jake Sanderson this episode. So I'm I- glad. Yeah, go ahead. Today, today, though, we got to start by um, a moment of silence in honor of what would have been a truly contentious night uh, between the two of us had COVID not ruined the world. Uh, because had it not been for COVID, there would have been a big preseason tilt in the NFL tonight. Buffalo, Detroit. It would have been the Bills versus the Lions tonight. <laughs> I, you know, my take on the Lions, which is that I come in with no hope. I come in with no hope, and that's purely so that when things fall apart, which they do, or they start out apart, uh, I'm not hurt because there's only so much sports pain I can take. Uh, Matt Stafford texted something about shooting for league MVP. Someone called him a dark horse. He said, forget dark horse. I'm going to get league MVP. And I was like, Bless man, your heart. now I got to drink the Kool-Aid. I love Matt Stafford. I'm so sad as a Detroit sports fan right now, but I'll have hope for a couple of weeks. I'll give myself a couple of weeks because uh, we don't get hockey until January, so I can replace hockey pain with football pain. Who do the Lions open against? I don't know. The Bears, I think. Oh, well, there you go. You're going to be 1-0. Congrats. Yeah, or we lose to Mitch Trubisky. You think about that? You know how who embarrassing to, that is? Who loses to Mitch Trubisky? Yeah. Um, There's like... If- there's defenses in the NFL where there's a reality where somehow the Bears put up negative points with Mitch Trubisky at QB. You don't have to tell me, man. I spend a third of my time talking shit about Mitch Trubisky. And I know Bears fans, terrible people, like just god-awful people. Hate them. Um, and most of them are also Blackhawks fans. Weird yeah. how that works, right? Yeah. Also, you do, strange. And they like weird foods as well. They're big cilantro people. Ugh, don't trust them. Um, but it would be the most lines things lines thing to do to like beat New England one week, like not this year's New England, but then lose to the Bears the next. Like that's Lions right there. The Bills is like win a couple like huge games, uh, lose a tough one to a division rival, then it's win and end. But then Josh Allen goes down. Like that's Bills. That's Bills luck. Like it's just bad luck. Lions like nobody beats the Lions like the Detroit Lions. No, they are no, no. experts at punching themselves in the face. Peak peak bills. So last season of them clinching a playoff spot with like three weeks left, it will never happen again in the history of humanity. Um, no, peak bills is go out week one uh, against like a heavily favored Patriots where like the bills are like 14 point underdogs, play them so tough, unreal game. And then they lose on like a last second field goal. But because the bills are terrible, you get the moral victory. It's like, hey, we almost beat Brady. And then yeah. go out and get absolutely shit kicked by the worst team in the league the next game. That's peak Bills. So good moral victory, still a loss, then an actual loss that ruins all the moral victory, whatever residuals you had. Brad, the only time 
any of us have been in a good sports place since we started this podcast has what has been when your stupid Toronto Blue Jays made that playoff run. I don't know, man. The Bills played a playoff game last year. That felt weird yeah, yeah, and yeah. amazing. That was great. Everyone loved it, but it was never going to go anywhere. Yeah. Oh. Wow. Yeah. Is this going to be a different show when the Red Wings are good? So let, let me just reiterate of the three major sports teams I cheer for right now, by far the most likely for success right now is the Bills. If that is not the most depressing state of sports I have ever experienced in my life, I don't know what is. Oh, what am I talking about? Liverpool just won the league title. Ah, forget it. Screw you, peasants. Anyhow, uh, let's get to talking about hockey. I am happy that, um, ooh, New York Islanders are on a power play. I'm happy that certain series haven't ended uh, 3-1 because I think that's boring, especially for the a very cool second round. So Vegas is up 3-2 on Vancouver. Colorado has come back and tied it against Dallas. They beat the hell out of Dallas that one game. Um, Tampa Bay beat Boston, which we'll get to in a second. And then the Islanders are up 3-2 against Philly pending the end of this game. So um, let's talk about Tampa Bay taking it over Dallas first. What? Or sorry, Buffalo, uh, Boston. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Times a charm. <laughs> Ryan, this is the playoffs. You can't even mix Buffalo up with these. Yeah, that was stupid of me. Um, yeah, a little bit of a quicker series win for Tampa Bay over Boston than I anticipated. Although I did see them winning. Is this Tampa's year to finally shake the curse? I think I've predicted Tampa to win the cup before the playoffs every year this podcast has existed or pretty damn close to it so you can ask me this question every year and i will say yes until they do they are the kings of finding new and creative ways to not win in the playoffs this is their fourth conference finals in the last six years so this isn't exactly new territory for them out of those four conference conference finals they made the finals once and that was the finals i think tyler johnson broke his wrist Stamkos was probably hurt and ben bishop blew out his groin so i mean i don't know what to make of them i i truly feel whoever wins between the islanders and the flyers tampa is going to be heavy favorites heavy i don't care how good the islanders defensive system is and even though i'm starting to come around on the islanders a little bit they are the kings of the comeback and i respect that um I, I don't think I'm not going to say they don't stand a chance, but I, I think I, Tampa will be a very clearly defined favorite no matter who they play. I think so, too. I think you were going to. And of course, anything can happen in the conference finals. So depending on who comes through Philly or the Islanders, let's say Tampa go, does go through. I really think the only way they're not the absolute favorite going in is if it's Colorado or Vegas um, in the out of the West, which, you know, perfectly likely. Those are both very strong teams. I would I would count Tampa Bay the favorite no matter what, but I would say Vegas would make it very, very close. I think for Tampa to not be considered the favorite if they go to the finals is whoever comes out of the West comes out of the conference finals and just an absolute heater. Like Vegas rattles off three in a row or four in a row and wins a series in four or five games. And obviously that could go for any of the teams in the West. But beyond that, it's it's hard to begin into Tampa. And we don't even know the status of Steven Stamkos. They just walked yeah. through the president's trophy winners without their captain and arguably, uh, nah, I don't think he's arguably one of their best players anymore, but a top three player on that team. Actually, maybe not a top three player on that team. Top five player on that team. Holy shit, Tampa is stacked. 
I know that team. The like I said before, the team that Steve Eisenman built, like that team is so. It's bizarre how long they've been contending and how strong of a position they've been contending in. Like there have been a couple hiccups here and there, as happens with any team in the modern NHL. But truly, with the amount of like sustained success. And they'll continue to have it as well. Like that team isn't going to be bad all of a sudden. Like they still have some uh, some runway ahead of them if it doesn't work out for them this year. Good for them. It's it's well deserved and it's not really a surprise. So I don't know. I kind of want to see them. I want to see them in the finals, whether or not people are big fans of Tampa. Well, if there's I'm, any team that could potentially beat them, it'd be the Islanders. <laughs> yeah, for real. Just they they Columbus Blue Jacket them in the conference finals. I didn't really think. Um, the Islanders would be that much trouble for Philly because I really liked how they looked coming out of the the round robin games, but the Islanders have been fantastic, and they make it look like Philadelphia doesn't even care to be there. It, yeah. It's incredible what Barry Trotz has that team doing right now. Matt Martin has four goals. <laughs> what he has four well, no. goals this playoffs. Well, hold on, we know what happened there. It's the curse of the former leaf that's if they're true. on the leafs and they are no longer on the leafs they are immediately 10 times better hey remember when leaf fans hated jonathan bernier so much that they just begged for to get rid of him and now red wings fans are like my god he's the best goalie we've had in five years yeah it, it happens to everybody and the islanders really galaxy brain this they're like we like matt martin we want to keep matt martin we're gonna let him go to toronto for a couple of years just so we can get him back and he can get that power boost Matt Martin has one less goal than Matt Barzell. He has one more goal than Jordan Eberle, uh, and more than Josh Bailey. There we go. Oh man, Toronto sports—the city yeah. that keeps on giving. <laughs> the amount of drafts I have on Twitter, uh, just like discussing potential moves, where Toronto picks up Bernie as their backup goalie, and like not even trying to be funny. I, I don't do it because I don't really care for the replies and I don't care for it to reach Toronto Twitter because Toronto Twitter has a way of ruining your day. Um, but I truly mean it unironically when I say Jonathan Bernier would be great for a team looking for a backup, which Jonathan Bernier would be great for a couple teams looking for starters. Was Jonathan legit question? Would you consider that Jonathan Bernier was better than Frederick Anderson this year, knowing that Toronto is now open to moving on from Anderson? Yeah. Yeah, he was. He played. He flat out played better. So then he is an upgrade at starter for the Leafs right now, which, oh, I love it. Mm. It sustains me. Before we talk about backup goalies, because there's a big storyline on that, um, the other series, any notable storylines? It's fun seeing Colorado remembering that they can play good hockey and beat the Dallas Stars, and that game's now going to game seven, or that I series. It's not even that I can say Colorado remember how to play better hockey. Nathan McKinnon's just going super saiyan. He's got, he just has the most points through 14 games of a playoffs since Wayne Gretzky. Like, he's on another planet from everybody else right now. Kale McCarr is putting up cartoonish numbers, and yet everybody's like, yeah, but he can't play defense. Cool. He's like a plus 13 right now. Like, Colorado is being propped up by five players, but those five players might be the best players in the world at their position that are still playing right now. Honestly, it's it's scary how good their top line and top pairing is. And they've got, you know, some decent contribution from 
<laughs> Another form relief. Nazem Kadri's been pretty good this playoffs. He was real hot in the first series. He's I thought he quieted down a little bit, and that's when Colorado started to run into some issues, but he picked up again and now they're 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 motoring again. Hold on, it gets better too. Not only is Nazem Kadri noted former leaf and uh a former leaf that the fan base turned on doing well, noted heel from last season. Michael Hutchinson is now the Avs starter and rattled off two wins. You can't make this up. (laughs) He was the Avs third string goalie and he was the Leafs backup goalie and he was so bad there. They again begged to get rid of him. The Leafs front office are going to get some very nice Christmas gift baskets this year. Oh yeah. Yeah. I would have a a food taster and a letter opener if I was anyone in the Leafs exec right now. They're going to get a very, very nicely selected cheese and meats that's what they're gonna get yeah they're gonna be offered some meat i'll tell you that they are never paying for a meal at a road game ever again yeah (laughs) it is the entire leafs offseason right now encapsulated is the their ball bouncing around and then getting skipped by the new york rangers ball the lafreniere lottery like that is everything that's happening to toronto right now does does toronto have to galaxy brain this then and do the reverse of what the islanders did have a player get rid of him let him get his post-leafs power boost, and then bring him back. So what you're saying is trade Austin Matthews for a little while. Exactly. Send him to Arizona. Let them have their cup of tea. Bring him back when he's scoring 60 goals a year. This is how yeah. you fix the Leafs. Trade Matthews to Arizona. Create enough hype where Arizona finally gets to move their team back into Phoenix proper. That's your goodwill. You get some good hockey karma, some good hockey juju from the hockey gods. You get them back, and then the hockey gods say, ah, all right, yeah, you can make the cup finals. And then from there, it's all up to you. And of course, they'll choke it. Mitch Marner for Jonathan Bernier. Who says no when you know that Jonathan Bernier is going to win a Vezna on his second time through? I genuinely believe the Leafs should be trading for Jonathan Bernier. Ask Detroit to retain the salary. Steve Eisenman will be like, yeah, I don't care. here's the thing though the red wings don't have another goalie right now jonathan bernier is literally our only goalie well it's not going to be jake allen let's talk about that trade quick question what yeah um okay what's the question so my question is what (laughs) like why was that trade made okay so i sent out my immediate reaction that i tweeted out after was I mean, it's a fine price for Jake Allen. They they swapped seventh round picks, so who cares? But they gave up a third round pick for Jake Allen. With the season Jake Allen just had and the contract he's under, perfectly reasonable price. I'm not going to sit here and say Montreal overpaid, even though at the beginning of the year, we were talking about him as a cap dump possibility. He put up better numbers than Carey Price this year. That's the reality of it. Um Your Montreal's paying $15 million a year for goaltending. And the best excuse I've heard for that is, oh, well, they have the cap space. I mean, you're a team that struggled to score goals and your defensive depth was bad. I, I, I mean, yeah, you had the cap space, but there were other places you could have used it where you should have used it. You have Carey Price and you have, and they have what? Charlie Lindgren, Caden Primo, and Keith Kincaid in their system. Um, I'm not going to say great backups, but serviceable backups for less than a million dollars. I mean, from a value standpoint on the trade, it was fine. It made sense. I just don't get why Montreal was the team that did it. Yeah. 
here's the thing. Montreal's rationale here is that what they need to get the best out of Carey Price is for him to not be playing 65-plus games. And I agree. More and more in the NHL, we're seeing that if you have a solid starting goalie, it does not matter who he is. Nobody is Iron Man. And if you need them to go on a deep playoff run, you cannot have them burnt out by the 82 prior games. Great. Don't get a backup who can – it doesn't even need to be a good backup, just a serviceable one that's not going to lose you too many games below like replacement value. Um a lot of people are going to jump into that point of the argument and say, well, Montreal's crazy if they think they're contenders. I lean towards them also not being as close to contenders as they think they are, but I won't criticize a team who tries to gear their themselves towards contending by making sensible moves. And that is a sensible move. Mortgaging all their futures to attain like a middling, overaged guy, that's something different. But no, I think they made a very smart move. They didn't really give up a lot in a vacuum for a backup goalie, like Brad just said. Jake Allen is an ideal guy to eat 30, 35 games and let Carey Price take the playoffs. That said, good on St. Louis for maximizing Jake Allen because he had a great, you know, last season with with St. Louis, finished on a hot streak, and all of a sudden his his value skyrocketed. I think that would have ebbed away over time and i think people would have kind of forgotten that and he would have been labeled more or less as a um up and down unreliable goaltender and they probably wouldn't have had to pay anything for him um and they sure they do have the cap space and it's just one year so i won't even say this that's not that's a bad mentality for the future no if, if montreal and mark bergevin genuinely think that they can contend next year find enough move a third round pick and a seventh round they swap seventh round picks so a third round pick who cares? But anything for a, a rested carry price, I think, is worth it. Like hundred percent. And if the experiment doesn't work, it's over at the end of next year. But I don't think. And Mark Bergevin doesn't care about what happens next, and Montreal doesn't care about what happens next, and I fully respect that. But what I want to say next is that Jake Allen could very well still have been a cap dump. Had Montreal had Montreal not rushed it, I don't think they necessarily had to give up an asset. They did, and it, it wasn't a huge price. Like a third round pick is not a huge price, whatever. But this does way more benefit for St. Louis than I think it does for Montreal in the end. And that's not what Mark Bergevin thinks about. He thinks about what Evan just said, which is that I paid the price to rest carry price. This is a rhyme, and if I was more creative, I'd finish it. But regardless, it's hardly a steep price, and it's worth it. Well, it's a cap dump for St. Louis. Yeah, that's the whole thing for them. They want and or they might view that they need to keep keep Petrangelo a St. Louis blue. And this is one of the very key pieces to make that happen. And they'll still need to make another trade. Um, Vince Dunn's been in rumors for that, which if it's true, Detroit should absolutely be looking into that. Would like a Vince Dunn. But I think it's at least worth addressing maybe the controversial opinion that some people might carry about this from St. Louis's standpoint. Should they have traded Jake Allen? Jordan yes. Bennington was a mess this year. And I at least with, with Jake Allen, you've had well over like close to a decade of figuring out what he is, which is an acceptable starting goalie. Not great. Not bad. He has his ups and his downs, which is fine, but St. Louis has an elite defense and they can score goals. Jordan Bennington is literally the reason they're not playing right now. Um, you look at all the underlying numbers from their cup run last year and Jordan Bennington absolutely was good and he didn't blow it for them. 
but he wasn't the reason they won. He was getting very few high quality shots against and St. The, the defense in front of him was doing a lot of the work. He straight up Chris Osgood did that cup, which good on him. I'm not convinced Jake Allen wouldn't have done the same thing, but I mean, I, to me, Allen would have been the safer option. Um, yeah, sure. You can hope Bennington bounces back, but as we've seen with Cam Ward's career, that doesn't always happen. So it's, I'm not saying I, I, I even know which way I would go if I was the blues on this one, but I think it's at least worth talking about. I think it's uh, a wash. I think Bennington won them a cup. I think he's had less time with the organization. And I think Allen has proven to be too up and down. I don't really see it as an issue. Yeah. And the nice thing is there's a plethora of, ufa goalies where once they know what they're gonna lock petrangelo in at and once they find that cap space they can either call somebody up and they're like bennington this is a hundred percent all of you this year or they can get someone on the cheap because there's a ton of supply in the ufa goalie market right now so one question just because i get ripped on and i'm going to preemptively get ahead of this before i say it wrong and get ripped on is it plethora? I always thought it was plethora. You're right, Brad. I was going to tell you. Get on Evan. You okay. Messed up. Okay. Oh, boo. Evan messed up. You idiot. <laughs> not, it can be both. No, it's plethora. I'm going to call it plethora my entire life. I know. I, I actually did the same thing. I, I read the word more than I ever said it as a kid. And then I said plethora and people looked at me weird. Uh, but no, Brad burned you, bro. That's it. Now you have to give him $20. Send him the money right now. That's not uh, what it says on the Oxford Dictionary, but you know, are you, are you just agree to disagree? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, no, but you you bring a good point, Evan. There is uh, Brad does too that Evan's stupid and wrong, but Evan, you bring up a good point that there's good there's a lot of supply, and not all of it's going to go cheap. Like Markstrom's not going to come cheap. Jimmy Howard's likely going to go to Edmonton, and you don't really want him. Oh, actually, I don't know. I actually don't think it's crazy for Jimmy Howard to come in and play twenty games and do fine. Craig Anderson is 39 years Here old. Here you go. Louis Demang, million bucks. See you later. And what be cookies. First in it? Cookies. Like, there's players there, and they're not all, like, sexy players, but fucking Hutchinson's winning playoff games right now for Colorado. Who cares? Mal- Malcolm Subban. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm not sure he'll go to Montreal just based off principle. Although, I don't think he's a good enough Are we talking about Montreal making- or St. Louis? I was talking about Montreal. Like, why would you trade for Jake Allen oh, and just sorry. get a free agent? Yeah. So the only thing to me that I think appeals to Montreal about Jake Allen versus a free agent is it's a one-year experiment, and I don't know if any of the goalies on the UFA market of Jake Allen's quality would accept a one-year deal. I mean, I still would have taken that route if I was Bergevin. I would have preferred to have kept the third-round pick, but... Hey, no risk in a trade. He's got his guy, and there's always the risk if you go into unrestricted free agency and nobody wants to sign with you, you're out of luck. So I I get it. I, I probably would have taken the risk just because of how many young goalies Montreal has in their system, but I get it. Yeah, it's like this isn't a world shaker, and it's gonna sound like a bunch of Detroit fans mad because a an opportunity that for a cap dump, a capitalization deal passed by in a little bit. You know, you're as a Red Wings fan, you're like, what? But no, in all honesty, it's just it was just kind of a weird trade. It wasn't to the degree that it was with Pittsburgh and Toronto, where they Pittsburgh, I think, just outright helped Toronto on a lot of fronts. Um we laugh a lot about bad GMs and like always call the bad GMs. And here's the thing, it's a double-edged sword, because the bad GMs could just very well 
do the same and help other teams that aren't yours. Like a bad GM can go and make a trade with a team that was in a bad spot. And you're just like, you didn't need to do that. They were in a hard spot. Why would you help them? So it kind of cuts both ways on that. Anyhow, like, yeah, in my mind, I would rather just offer like Anton Kadobin say like, hey, we'll pay you four and a half million dollars to be a backup this year. One year and you can leave somewhere else after you in. And Kadobin will probably be like, yeah, sure. That's more money Uh, that I'll get. I don't think Kadobin's taking a one year deal. Me neither. Four and a half mil? Nope. All right. He, He'll get that for sure. Dude, Dallas is one win away from the cup finals with him as a starter. He's going to go into this market trying to find a starting job. Big time. Totally agree. Well, whatever. You're both stupid. I, what's wrong with Keith Kincaid? Was he really bad? Oh, yeah. He was bad. He was oh. a, a real bad. <laughs> well, maybe the market's not so great. Huh, who knows? Uh <laughs> unfortunately some terrible news for all of us um despite the great opportunity for the florida panthers to have uh uh peter Torelli as their gm the panthers did the sensible thing and hired um always soon to be gm uh, assistant gm out of columbus bill zito who worked uh under yarmul kekalainen zito was always kind of tapped for interviews for these jobs and it was always a matter of time Sad news for all of us who want to get Barkov on the cheap from Florida in exchange for Danny DeKaiser. Um, I don't understand why. Well, I understand why the NHL keeps pushing Peter Trelli as a candidate, but we weren't so lucky to have him in the Atlantic this time around. So fingers crossed for all 32 teams, or I guess 31 teams at a time to have uh, Trelli land somewhere else. Good hire by Bill Zito, or for Bill Zito. I've always been curious to see what he can do. He's been talked up for a while now. Yeah, but that whole Panthers front office is a mess right now. Bill Zito's got his work cut out for him. They, because um, they're under, at least according to Friedman, they're under instruction to cut costs this year, which translation, we're not spending to the cap, jettison players. So, I mean, Florida just signed a franchise goalie. They have two franchise forwards and a franchise defenseman. They're they're not a team that should be cutting costs right now. And if they are, they're a team that has to somehow moneyball this and become a contender because there's no excuses for them. They have their top line franchise center. They have their top line franchise winger. They have their top line franchise defenseman. And they have their franchise goalie. There's no excuses for Florida at this point. Bill Zito, Bill Zito has to turn them in a win, into a winner, especially while they have Huberto and Barkov on these insane value contracts. The fact Hello. that they're missing the playoffs, let alone not winning, contending for a cup, is criminal. Hello. Yes, we will take one Aaron Ekblad. Thank you. Would Jonathan Huberto might be the most underrated superstar in this league. He f- definitely is right now. So, not a late bloomer. I think he has a normal career trajectory. People just get too ambitious. But yeah, Huberto is definitely one of the most underappreciated. How did you like? That's why I don't think Bill Zito has his work cut out for him that badly. Like when you have a base of Huberto, Barkov, Hoffman, who is admittedly a UFA, um, like you have Eric Halla on that team, Aaron Eckblad, Keith Yandel, um, and then sergey bobrovsky's 10 million dollars i don't know and they, they have a great head coach as well let's let's not forget about mike matheson's four million dollars a year for seven more years and he oh, was no. routinely a healthy scratch this season brad 4.875 million a year routinely a healthy scratch yeah that was a bad deal from the moment it was said anyone could have told you that it yeah, is nice you, to know did you hear dale Town? 
Hold on. Before you get into whatever point you're going to make, have you ever heard Dale Talon's explanation for that contract? No. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember it was bad. It was stupid. It's a work of art, like Shirelli levels of what the hell are you thinking? Where he's like, yeah, originally we started talking about a two-year contract, and then we said, why not four? And then we said, why not six? And then we said, why not eight? He wanted to be a Panther. And I'm like, oh my God. I want to be a Panther. Yeah, I would also like to be a Panther, please. I'll yeah, to I'll, Sunrise, California, California, Florida. I'll take less than half of what Matt Matheson got. Honestly, Dale, I'm try- no, I'm, I'm I need to the look- full four point eight seven five. Sorry, I'm you'll probably get it. Honestly, at, uh, potential you know targets for Detroit to look at in terms of a cap dump, but man, the guys you'd want have modified or full no trade clauses. Like Anton Strawman's getting paid five and a half for another fill year, few years, thirty four years old, and if they're trying to dump. That's a guy, but he's got a no move, uh, modified no no trade clause. So I don't know what that entirely contains. But since we're Detroit fans, I don't imagine he's waving to come to us. Um, there's man, they have so many good value contracts. I, I think it was going to be you know the dumps are not signing UFAs or their UFAs like. It'd be really dumb to let Mike Hoffman walk, but I, I'm not sure they can afford him. Um, then they've got Evgeny Dadanov, four million bucks coming. He's a up UFA though, isn't he? Yeah, he's someone that Detroit should be eyeballing if you're looking for short-term gains and and value UFAs. He's put up routinely 50, 60 points since he's come back from Russia, and he only made four million dollars. I obviously assume he's going to be coming for an up. Uh, for a pay raise, but I can't see him commanding crazy dollars or term because of the relatively short track record back in the NHL. Yeah, he had four. Uh, he, was, he had twenty five goals, twenty two assists in sixty nine games this year. Nice. So that's really good. Nice, really nice. Seventy nice. points in eighteen nineteen. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He has been pretty quietly productive. Good for him. Um. Okay. Anything else um, about the NHL at large? I'm going to try and keep an eye on this uh, overtime game as well between Philly and the Islanders. Yeah, uh, I'm just about gonna, five minutes into that. Yeah, I'm going to try. Well, we'll get through the Yoki interview. Then we'll get through our prospect profile. Then we'll get through overtime. And hopefully overtime will still be going on. So when we're done overtime, I can go watch overtime. Well, first, let's talk about Anthony Mantha. So, Oh, yeah. <clears throat> mm. Oh, no, I'm not talking about the rumor. I don't care about that. Oh, thank you. Uh, Yeah, yeah. No, uh, I saw on Instagram, um, Mantha posted his girl, like he posted his girlfriend's story in his story and I clicked the post and it was them walking through their new house in uh, Bloomfield, Michigan? Sure. Or Bloomfield, yeah, it was Bloomfield Hills, right? I think it was. Sure, you have no idea how little I care about this kind of stuff. Well, no, you don't. It was a gorgeous house. It's a huge mansion. And generally, if you're a player who doesn't have a contract signed, you're not buying massive homes. It's different. He's an RFA. So obviously, like, there's a 99.5% chance that Mantha's going to stay in your mind unless you're a Montreal fan, which uh, at which point, please stop. Please, I beg you. I beg you. I beg you. Stop mocking up trades to treat Max Domi to Detroit. It, I, it's not even anything specific. Just stop doing it. It's weird. Um, so obviously he's going to stay in Detroit, but a guy doesn't make a, a big purchase like that. Gorgeous home, by the way. Good for those two. Um, 
unless there's something either done or in the works or almost there. So there's been rumors flying around. You know what? We don't like to talk too much about specifics until they're a little bit more solid. Um, I think we've put feelers out there. There's nothing specific we've seen or heard yet, but we, there's been rumblings, rumors from whoever you ask about four to five years, you know, anywhere from four and a half to six mil. Who knows? I kind of think it's coming soon just by the fact that that house was bought, but it, there's still a lot of time. If Anthony, if Anthony Mantha takes four and a half million dollars on a long-term deal, I'm tattooing that on my ass. (laughs) If Anthony Mantha takes a long-term deal for four and a half million dollars, I'll tattoo a picture of your ass with a tattoo that you get (laughs) on my ass. (laughs) Evan, your turn. I'm doing, I am not getting involved in this. (laughs) So I'm not actually doing that, but. Oh, buzz kills. I mean, I got a wife who will divorce me if I do that, I'm pretty sure. And she likes Mantha. You already got your two kids in. What do you need it for, man? I don't want to pay child support, man. They're expensive enough. (laughs) No, I didn't say what do you need her for. You definitely need her. Oh, okay. You are are a broken, pathetic man, let me tell you. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) Uh, But um, so here's the thing. And this is why I don't take a ton of credence to this. So can we look into this and say that a contract is done? No, absolutely not. Can we gleam that he it, he thinks the contract's going to come and he's not planning on getting traded sure but the fact he bought an expensive house shouldn't factor in on it factor in at all we are talking about a guy who made six million dollars over the last two years it's not exactly like he hasn't been in a position to buy a big ass house to this point in his career so yeah. but who likes unpacking and then repacking again soon after you know exactly it's a good sign it means he's yeah, i'm sure he definitely has those uh problems that we do yeah right <laughs> Right, it's not like he That's, just would pay someone to do it all. The but, amount of times I look at a picture. One second, Brad, before you make whatever point you're going to make. Uh, oh, <laughs> you, like, you like that, Evan? That is passive aggressive. I'm just trying to make Evan laugh. The amount of times I look at Mantha and I think, man, I see me in Anthony Mantha. It's just why ridiculous. is it he's, because he looks you think completely he's different than you? It's the shoulders. N- no, it's because Ryan thinks Mantha's a bear. And he might actually eat Ryan. That is the only way Ryan will ever see Ryan inside of Anthony Mantha. I'll take it. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. I rudely cut you off for the sake of a terrible joke, which both Evan didn't laugh at. And then I, Evan didn't laugh at my joke after. So I'm going to shut up for the next 10 minutes. I don't remember what point I was trying to make, but I'll take it as a good sign that he's buying a house in Detroit. That's, that's the end of my statement. It's concrete to nothing. And I read almost nothing into it, but it certainly doesn't hurt anything. Well, uh, on the heels of Brad's annoying sensibility, we are now going to cut to our uh, interview with uh, head of European scouting for Dauber Prospects, Yoki Nevelainen. This was a great chat. Uh, you guys will see uh, everything we talked about. We kind of pulled them in 10 different directions, which is always fun for us, but um, I don't know if it's so fun for the uh, the person on the other side, but he did a great job with it. So without further ado, enjoy our interview with Yoki. Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast, first ever interview uh, with the head of European scouting over at Dauber Prospects. We are joined by Yoki Nevelainen. Uh, Yoki, thank you for being so flexible with how uh, we're going to pronounce your name and Finnish names today, and and thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, it's my pleasure to be here. 
so we were chatting a little bit before and we were laughing that uh, this is going to seem like a strategic um, interview to have you on now because you're obviously, um, for those who, who read your work, and I hope all of our listeners do, um, they uh, you're a big proponent of Lucas Raymond. And uh, that <laughs> all bias considered here, uh, so are we for the most part. So um, it's good to have you on today. And it's nice to have someone in our, I don't want to say in our corner, I think we're open to all prospects and we don't have any hard decisions, but it'll be nice to hear some pro Lucas Raymond uh, feedback today, unless everything has changed. <laughs> no, uh, uh, Lucas Raymond has been my number three guy for almost two years now. So uh, I don't think I'm going to change that at this point. Okay, so let's just jump right into that then. What makes Lucas Raymond, in your mind, the third best prospect in this draft, especially over uh, guys like Tim Stutzla or, or Rossi or Cole Perfetti? Well, uh, I just love everything he does. Uh, there's no, there, He doesn't really have any weaknesses. Uh, you could consider his average size to be a weakness, but I think it, it's it's not. Uh, he doesn't play like a small player. He he's not afraid to go to to the battle areas, uh, and he competes really really well. Uh, so even as an average sized guy, uh, I don't have any problems problems with the way he plays. Uh, and then when it comes to his skills and skating and uh, all that, uh, I think they are just high end uh, among the highest in this draft class. Uh, so just just the vision, uh, the way he sees the the eyes, the way he sees the other players, he can see through traffic and find those tough tough passing lanes. Uh, it's just all there, the whole package. Uh, I've been watching him very closely for two years, and I haven't really seen any anything that would concern me. So one of the follow ups we get from our listeners and anybody we talk to about having Lucas Raymond as high as we do is I'm not going to call them the detractors, but the people who are pro someone else at four will point to his less than stellar numbers in the SHL as someone who watches the SHL a lot more closely than we do. And obviously than anybody in North America would, how would you explain why that's not a huge issue to you? Well, first of all, Frölunda is one of the best teams in Europe, uh, all leagues considered, even the KHL. Uh, I think they would be among the top teams in, in the KHL if they happen to play there. So it's it's a great organization uh, stacked with high-end players, uh, very experienced players who have, have played a long career uh, and they just didn't have any room for Raymond there. He was mostly playing on the fourth line or as their extra forward, the 13th forward. So his minutes were very, very limited. And a guy like him who who is an offensive player needs to have that puck on his stick. Uh, it's not going to happen if he plays five minutes a game. So considering uh, Detroit, the Detroit Red Wings specific situation here, they're obviously... Um, they have a lot of options wide open to them. More at Cider with the surprise six overall pick last year, and then uh, with a different kind of surprise, Philip Zadina the year before. Um, a lot of people are looking forward here, uh, or looking to take a forward here because they believe uh, having picked a right-handed defenseman last draft would kind of preclude them from needing Jamie Drysdale. Do you see Lucas Raymond as having the highest upside out of all of the available picks at number four? 
or do you see him as being the most likely to reach his ceiling or is it some combination of both? Well, I think it's a bit of a combination of both. So for me personally, I think uh, Raymond, Stutzle and Rossi are all in the same tier at three to five. Uh, so I see those three being really, really close to each other. I just happen to prefer Raymond, but I could definitely see either Stutzle or Rossi ahead of him. Uh, but after the after those three, I think there's a bit of a gap uh, at at six. Uh, so in that sense, I would really, unless I had a really urgent need for a defenseman, I would definitely take a forward there. So. With, obviously, you ranking Lucas Raymond at three, but the consensus having Tim Stutzla in there, and uh, a lot of rumors floating around right now that Stutzla actually might go second overall to the Kings. Do you think that, I'm going to call it the mega high praise of Stutzla is warranted? Do you think there should be legit consideration for him at number two, given that we have Lafreniere and Byfield in this draft as well? Uh, I don't really see it. I think Lafreniere and Byfield are in a tier of their own. Uh, I think there's a gap between those two and then the other three after them. Uh, I'm not really sure where the Stutzle hype is coming from. If we even look at the World Juniors, which seems to be what what is driving it for the most part. Uh, I think Raymond was about equally good there. He just played a much smaller role because he plays plays for Sweden, a much better team compared to Germany. So uh, I think even that best situation where Stutzle uh, stood out, I think Raymond was right up there with him and everything else considered. Uh, it's, it's not enough to push uh, Stutzle ahead of Raymond for me. Uh, Yoki, a common question that we get is, is this player that the Red Wings are going to draft fourth overall going to be their best uh, prospect, Zadina included, automatically? Do you think that is a uh, answer where, or do you think that's a question where the answer is yes, no matter who they pick? Um, and specifically, does Raymond automatically come in ahead of Cider and Zadina from what you know of those young guys? Um, that's a tough tough question. Uh, I think I would probably put Cider at, at number one from the current prospects. Uh, and I think think Raymond is right up there. He, I would probably put Raymond ahead of him, Rossi as well, maybe. But if they go with someone else like Drysdale or Perfetti, uh, I think I might put those two uh, behind Cider. So obviously we, the Red Wings fans have been focusing us included a lot on pick number four for obvious reasons. Um, But the one thing that's the quarantine and the pandemic and the expanding the draft coverage this year has caused is a lot of us to start doing some real deep dives later in the draft, specifically the second round, given that the Red Wings have three picks and most of the favorite options that I've seen coming up in mocks rankings, whatever you want to look at for Detroit at pick 32 is the European prospects. All things considered, assuming the draft follows your rankings relatively closely and knowing the state of the Red Wings franchise, who are some of the, I hate the word ideal, but let's say ideal 
European prospects that the Red Wings should be looking at realistically at 32? Uh, well, yeah, two two names that I think realistically could be there at 32, uh, who I have clearly higher than that in the top 20, are Noel Gunler, the Swedish winger from Luleå, and defenseman Helge Granz uh, from Malmö. So I think those two are are two great options that I think are are definitely top 20 talents. Uh, but the consensus seems to be that they are more in that late first, early second round range. Uh, so I would really, if they were still available, I would absolutely take one of those two. Uh, Gunder has a bad rep uh, for for no good reason, I think. I think all, all the issues have been overblown badly. And I think uh, he could really be a top 10 talent out of this draft class if he can just figure out how, how to put his whole, whole game together and find a bit more motivation and a uh, better engine for himself. Someone needs to push him a little bit. But if he can do that, uh, I think Gunnar could be a top 10 talent out of this draft class. Now, with that being said, um, one of the things that Iserman's known for as a GM is everybody he drafts has to have a high compete level. That is number one on his re- list of requirements. And it's, it's not much of a secret considering Eiserman keeps everything else he does an absolute secret. Um, do you think that a lot of those perceptions with Gunler are because of the style he plays or are there legitimate compete concerns there? Cause we all know he has the talent and obviously you believe in his talent immensely um, rightfully so. But do you think there's enough there for Eiserman to get past his requirements? Well, I, I think it really depends on how he interviews. Uh, so they they need to trust that he will he will give a better effort going forward. Uh, it's there sometimes, but it's not there every time. Uh, that's the that's the big problem I I see right now. That uh, he's not consistent with his effort uh, when he's at his best. Uh, he he can give a great uh, performance on the ice uh, in every area. But, but he has too many of those bad games. Uh, so, yeah, I think it just depends on uh, how much they trust that he will figure it out. Uh, I don't think it's going to be something that can't be coached, uh, but they need to make that decision, obviously, that do they trust that they, they can get the best out of him every night. So a big theme with this draft, obviously, is that it's uh, very top-heavy or there's a lot of really, really high-end talent that runs deeper than you would typically find. Uh, And so what we're seeing is guys like uh, Alexander Holtz and Anton Lundell being ranked, you know, 7th, 10th, 12th, and beyond. Um, What we've kind of come to is that this shouldn't be a discount of their potential and their talent uh, because, you know, somebody who picks up uh, Holtz could have a premier goal scorer for the rest of his career. Um, is this is their ranking or is their kind of status compared to other players just a symptom of how deep this draft is? And uh, if so, are teams going to have an opportunity to get a way better player than they typically would at you know pick seven or pick nine than they would in other years? Yeah, I do think so. Uh, I think in most years, Holtz would be a top five pick. Uh, he's just that level of a talent. And, but this year, he, 
I, I don't see it happening. I think he's going to slide to that 6 to 10 range. Uh, so someone is really going to get a, a great talent in in that range where you usually get like a top six guy, uh, whereas now you're getting a top line scorer who can possibly put up 40 plus goals in a season. So so yeah, uh, the top 10 is, is awesome this year. That's the, <laughs> that's the uh, best way I can put it, I guess. So obviously us and you and everybody in the prospecting world has spent an insane amount of time on 2020 just because of the amount of time we've had. Uh, you guys are, I think we're one of the first outlets I seen to release a ranking for 2021. Um, so given that the Red Wings are going to be a train wreck next year as well, we might as well talk about that. Um, so at the top of your guys list, um, and conveniently for you had uh, a Finnish player, I'm going to try and say this. Please don't judge me. Atu or Atu. And he is not viewed as um, a Lafreniere or a Byfield type of talent, but he's still first overall. What do you make of him holding the number one spot throughout the year? And what ultimately might his high end ceiling be? Well, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of competition for first overall next year. So there is no obvious number one guy uh if ratu was available in 2020 i think he would be battling for third overall so outside the top two so that's just how it happens to break that it it, that draft class doesn't seem to have that elite elite talent that you usually see at the top uh but he's still a great prospect so uh i see a lot of uh like logan culture type player out of him so a solid number one center who can be used in any situation, can play big minutes, but not like a 80-plus point player, more of a 75-70 point player. So that that type of uh, talent, I think, is there available. And then after him, it's mostly just defensemen who are, who are running the show after him. So it's a nice antithesis to this year where it's the exact opposite. We've got, what, maybe one defenseman ranked in the top 10 next year, and there's, what, four or five in the top 10 for next year already? That's got to be a promising sign if Detroit goes forward this year. Yeah, they, they should really get a great defenseman next year if they have a top 10 pick. Uh, I think we had, like, five or six defensemen in the top 10, something like that. So, yeah, uh, it's going to be a great, great class for defense. Speaking of uh, positional picks, and I'm sorry, I'm going to bring us right back to 2020 here. Um, it's almost become a meme at this point, and it shouldn't because he's a very real prospect. Uh, but anytime Yaroslav Askarov is mentioned for fourth overall, we all just kind of like wince because of obviously Detroit's needs all over the ice and the inherent risk that comes with picking a goaltender. Tell us what you know about Askarov, what you think he can be, and how crazy of a pick would he be at fourth overall? Uh, well, yeah, I think I think he could live up to that fourth overall selection if everything breaks right. I, he, I think he has that type of upside to be a franchise goalie, a Vezina Trophy contender uh, year after year. So any team would love to have a goalie like that, that you can just plug him in for 60-plus games in a season uh, and you don't have to worry about his performance at any point. Uh, 
so yeah, there there is definitely that upside. Uh, but with goalies, there's there's clearly more risk, a bit more waiting time as well. So uh, yeah, not the pick I would personally make. But if they took Askarov at number four, I wouldn't really uh, be sad about it. Uh, I think uh, he could definitely live up to that selection. So obviously Askarov's a possibility at four, but not likely. But Detroit does have a reputation for taking a goalie just about every draft. And they have three second round picks this year. Technically four, if you want to count their third round pick getting bumped up one spot because of Arizona's forfeiture. Um, Who are some of the goalies that Detroit should be looking at in the second or third round, in your opinion? Well, I think uh, out of Europe, my my top guy would be Joel Blomqvist from Finland. Uh, I have him somewhere in the mid-second round, I think. I can check really quickly, yeah. I have him around 60, actually, so late second round. But uh, a six foot two goalie, uh, just barely. Uh, so he's, a, he's slightly uh, smaller than what you would like to have. Uh, but I think... Uh, his quick quickness and his ability to read the game uh, are enough to make him a legitimate uh, NHL starter in the future. He has a bad tendency to to spit out pucks. Uh, he needs to control those better, uh, direct them to the corners if he can't catch them, and and so on. But I think those are fixable mistakes that he is making right now considering he's just an 18-year-old goalie. So uh, he has a great track record at every level. He's going to play against men this upcoming season. It's going to be a great uh, great way for him to learn uh, more and continue developing. And, and yeah, I, I see a very bright future for him. Now, uh, we asked you all those fun questions about Lucas Raymond, but we'd be remiss in not also uh, pointing out the fact that you had Marco Rossi ranked right up there with him. So uh, a little bit of about Marco Rossi with him being, you know, this supposed small but mighty two-way center. Um, do you see him having that same upside in the NHL or do you see him as a guy who who might be more likely to flip over to the wing? Um, I, I know a lot of people kind of cap his ceiling uh, as a little bit lower, does that something you agree with? Well, yeah, I think think the the concerns are that uh, I do see him transitioning to the wing most likely. It's just so rare for someone his size to to be a center, especially like a number one center. So we have Braden Point who who's able to do that, but that's just about it. Uh, you don't really have many examples of ha- of that happening, so. Yeah, I, I think it's it's likely that he transitions to the wing. And then I have some concerns that I haven't really seen him at wing, so I'm not sure how he's going to adjust to that. Some players can do it seamlessly, uh, even maybe be better at wing, and some players seem to struggle when they move to the wing. So I think that's, the, that's probably the reason I have him, even though I have him in the same tier with Raymond and Stutzle, then just him being the final option there uh, out of those three. All right. Um, and to kind of wind things down here, I think most of our listeners, I know a couple specifically would scream at us if we didn't ask you about 
your thoughts on some of the Red Wings prospects who played in Europe this year, specifically Elmer Soderblom and Albert Johansson. What did you see from them this year? And do you think they have at this point legitimate NHL upside or beyond? Yeah, uh, Johansson really uh, proved me wrong, I guess. I didn't have him in that kind of range where they took him. I was a bit surprised by the selection, but the way he played this season, uh, they they made an awesome choice there. Uh, he's definitely projecting to, to uh, be better even than where he was taken. So I see definite top four upside in Johansson. Uh, he's going to take a couple of years still developing. He's still a bit... Uh, needs to add some muscle, needs to get stronger and all that. Uh, but the talent is definitely there. The skating is definitely there. Uh, he has the all-around game. He's not just a one-trick pony. He can do it all. He can play in any situation. So, yeah, uh, I think they they made an awesome selection there. And with Söderblom... Uh, I, I think there is NHL potential there, uh, but I think he has a long way to go. Uh, he's skating with his size and his hands with his size. Uh, I think that's rare to see. You don't usually have a six foot seven guy who who plays an offensive skill game. So usually those guys play a physical defensive game, but he's all about offense, and and that's rare to see. But it's going to take some time before he can put it all together. He did it last year at the junior level, which was great to see. Now he needs to take that next step, uh, put it all together at the men's level. It's going to be much tougher to do, uh, but I think he has all the tools to do it. Okay, Yoki. Well, I think we've put you through the ringer with about 20 different topics today. So we're going to wrap up. Uh, everyone, this is Yoki Nevalainen, uh, head of European scouting at Dauber Prospects. Uh, and uh, of course, one of the hosts with Tony Ferrari over at the Dauber Draftcast. Uh, Yoki, thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure we're going to ask you back again. There's uh, plenty more to talk about for this draft and next. But uh, for now, we appreciate it and take care. Yeah, thanks for having me. And that was our interview with uh, Yoki Nevalainen. Uh, good to have him on, and appreciated him taking up his evening. He was seven hours at seven and a, yeah seven hours ahead of us when we recorded that. So um, appreciate him taking the time over from Finland. Okay, more prospect stuff. Uh, this is going to be an unpopular one, but a maybe a popular one because we are going to begin our major prospect previews so we might revisit some guys we might be doing some guys uh their profiles for the first time but we are not only going to be talking about them as draft eligible players and their profiles we are also going to be talking about how this fits in as a detroit red wings pick where they would fit in the organization the likelihood of it how we feel about uh, them being picked so on and so forth so from now up until the draft which is a month away uh each episode will be highlighting a player who could by all rights, be a Detroit Red Wings draft pick. At so, number four specifically. At, yeah, this is the big one. This is the big shebang. So um, we're going to start with the most unpopular one, I think, uh, just to kind of get it out of the way. And uh, even though I gave it that qualifier, people are inevitably going to yell at us, and I'd rather try to avoid that. So let's rip off the Band-Aid. Defenseman Jake Sanderson as a possible Detroit Red Wings fourth overall pick. Brad, 
you'd lead the charge. So first thing about how we're going to be doing this, if everybody follows everybody we're going to track over the next month about who could be a Detroit pick, we are eliminating all options, which means someone else who we don't cover is (laughs) going to get picked like last year. It's a meal, Andre. So if you're like team Anton Lundell, oh, you're going to like us. But yeah, Jake Sanderson. So I don't think it's a secret. There's not many Red Wings fans out there who would be happy with this pick, but whether we want to admit it or not, there's a higher percentage of it happening than we think, strictly because of what happened with Mo Sider last year. If nothing else, Mo Sider last year shows two things. One, Eisenman's not afraid to go off the board, and he likes those big, defensive, excellent skating defensemen. You could make an argument that Jake Sanderson's a better skater than Mo Sider. I don't know if I would make it, but he's in the conversation. And Jake Sanderson probably has better offensive upside than Mo Sider does, although I don't think he is as good defensively. But again, all things are in the range of each other. So, and he shoots left. So you could literally put him on a pairing with Mo Sider and have like your shutdown pair for the next 15 years if you wanted. But here's the thing. He's not good enough to go fourth overall. That's just the reality of it in my mind. Um, There's way better options. Sanderson's a fine player. If you like Mo Sider, there is literally no reason you shouldn't like Jake Sanderson. The only reason you shouldn't like Jake Sanderson is because he's not a value value pick at fourth overall. And he's not. He's not in my top 10 at the moment. So this is what it is. I didn't have Mo Sider in my top 10. 15 last year so we've been proven wrong before and hey if it happens maybe we're proven wrong again but there's a lot to like about the guy he is an excellent defender he is an excellent skater he is a smart hockey player i I would say he's got very limited offensive upside but right before the for about a month or two before the shutdown he was really showing some things in the offensive zone mind you he's playing against juniors most cider never did for a full season. So again, not exactly apples to apples, but we, we have to consider the fact that this guy is right up Iserman's alley. Jake Sanderson is a good player. Like he's a good player and we very well could be looking at a universe where, you know, let's say Iserman didn't pick most out of six last year. He took Trevor Zegras. And this year is when he went off the board for the uh, supremely talented defensive defenseman with uh, maybe an untapped offensive upside who is a good skater uh, as well. That's legitimately the exact same mold as Mo Sider, but on the left side. So there's a good question to be asked here by proponents for Jake Sanderson to say, well, if we can be accepting of of Mo Sider as the pick eventually, why couldn't we do the same for Jake Sanderson? And and here's my answer to that. And I think I I don't want to speak for Evan, who we'll get to him in in a minute here, but I think the general consensus, at least among Red Wings fans, is that Jake Sanderson isn't the preferred pick here. And I think you do have to factor Mo Sider in. Steve Eisman took a huge risk when he passed on the offensive talent that was available at pick six last year to take Mo Sider. He identified the Red Wings need for an all around capable defenseman, a guy who can just do everything. And that's what they're hoping Mo Sider looks is going to be. And that's what he's looking like he has a good chance to be as well. Was it my favorite pick? No, 
Absolutely not. Do I still think now that Trevor Zegers could likely be the better player? Yeah, absolutely. But I have a hard time getting mad at a player who can do what Mo Sider looks like he can do on the ice. I don't know if I can do that again, right? Like, I don't know if I can be willing to make that leap again. Yes, he's a great skater. Yes, he's a great defender with awesome defensive instincts, which is he's a very mature defender and that's hard to find a defenseman. And yeah, he is perfectly capable offensively. He makes a good first pass. He, you know, he has a good eye for for that side of the ice, but he's not a dynamic offensive defenseman like you see in uh, Jamie Drysdale. And I think that's what sets Drysdale apart as the premier defensive uh, pick at the top of this draft. I've had some people ask me like, "Well, what's the difference between the two? I thought you were a defensive defenseman guy. I am. I play defense. I really value when people pick defensemen who can actually play the position. Scratch but- that one off your bingo cards, everyone. <laughs> uh i made a mistake trying to go after brad now evan's gonna strike at me because i'm vulnerable (laughs) um it's i don't uh, he shook me Uh, i don't think that it is i don't i just don't think it's the right move to leave that much offensive talent on the board again i don't think he's good enough for a fourth overall pick i would have thought the same thing about mo sider last year but there's only so many times you can take that risk in my mind and especially in this draft like you're looking at Correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, but I view this as the amount of talent that will be on the board at number four is as if Turcotte had fell to number six last year. I like everybody ranked, at least on my own personal rankings, eight or higher more than I liked Turcotte at this point last year. Like that's I how loved that, Turcotte last year. And I did too. And that's how good this draft is to me. I don't think Turcotte's in the tier of Rossi, Raymond, uh, Stutzla, Maybe not even Holtz or Perfetti, truthfully. Um, I, I think those last two he's is pretty close, but I would not be surprised if in a redraft and you threw him in here, he goes close to 10. That's just the way it is. But the one thing, too, that we have to look back on is interviews with Iserman about last year's draft. He said that there were a couple guys they wanted, but the top, but unfortunately the top five went as he expected, which makes me think that as much as he likes cider, if Turcotte or Doc had fallen, he would have drafted them. So it's not like he went into that draft and said, we are taking a defenseman. Um, he liked his guy. Would he have picked a forward if Turcotte or Doc was there? Yeah, maybe. And who knows what conversation we're having right now. But that was when he was picking outside the top five. Now he's picking inside the top five, which it's only two spots, but it's a stronger forward draft and it is in the top 10. So two spots is a lot. So even though Eisenman likes his defensive defenseman, even though Jake Sanderson's probably going to be a very good player, even though it's still within the realm of possibility, I have a hard time seeing it happening this year. But we got to examine this. What if he does it? What are the benefits here? Well, the benefits are the left side of Detroit's defense is a mess and the system doesn't have a ton coming through. I'm still on the Chalosky train. I, I still think there's an NHL defenseman there. Um, Albert Johansson, as Yoki was saying, looks like he's got top four upside. McIsaac, maybe. But here's the thing with all three of them. Those are all big maybes. If you get Jake Sanderson in there, he's probably more of a certainty than any of those three. So then you do get some balance on the blue line, and that would be a huge benefit to the Red Wings going forward. Um, what else to add? Yeah, I think when if you want to look at like 
comparing Jamie Drysdale to Jake Sanderson, Jamie Drysdale kind of plays that more like rover style defense where he's kind of he he does play defense but he definitely roams into the offensive zone you'll see him below the net quite often whereas jake sanderson kind of plays that more traditional um offense for a defenseman you know he he mans the point he he gets keeps pucks low and gets them onto the net he's got an okay shot it's not a bomb by any means but you know and he he looks like he could potentially you know power play a court power play a quarterback at quarterback a power play at the nhl level um and i think he's exceeded a lot of expectations that people had for him and i think if he you know adds a little bit of size because i think he's only like 180 pounds uh, it's pretty small for a defenseman in the nhl and um he just continues to grow i think like the very bottom for him is uh, like a top four defenseman on a team. That being said, do I want him at number four? I would be a little, I would be shocked. Mm -hmm. I'd be very, very shocked because I think the pulse of this draft is very deep forwards. Someone's going to balk and get another, the second defenseman very early. Um, and uh, obviously, Eiserman would be aware of that. So I don't think he's target number one for Detroit. But after last year, I, I, who even knows anymore? Um, I really do like Jake Sanderson and whoever drafts him. I think he's going to go a lot. Uh, he might. He probably will go in the top ten. I think. Yeah. Um, they're getting a very high quality prospect who's going to be in the NHL in one to two years. I think. Well, it's going to be interesting because if the rumor, like every team in the top five is linked to a prospect at each pick. So if if those rumors are true, we pretty much have a pretty good idea of how the top five is going to go. And that would include zero defensemen at this moment. And then you have Anaheim, New Jersey, Buffalo picking all teams that could use defensemen. So there's a reality where there's zero defensemen in the top five, but two in the top seven. That might very well happen. Yeah, you know GMs are just always horned up for those like blue collar, hard working with a potential offensive upside defenseman. Like Jake Sanderson will have a massive lineup oh, of yeah. teams who want him. And I know I mentioned it in our mock draft, but I'll repeat it there. There's where Jake Sanderson is going in this draft, his floor is Winnipeg. He I cannot see him getting past them. What is Winnipeg draft at? Ten or eleven, I think. Yeah. Here's the thing. If, if I'm the Red Wings and we're in that spot, I'd be thrilled with Jake Sanderson. Of course, he'd want let, – like, let's say the Red Wings had a better year than they did and uh, they were drafting like 10th or 11th. And let's say every ideal offensive piece was off the board. Jake Sanderson was probably who I'd be gunning for in terms of who's realistically there. Or I might be one of the people pushing for Askarov in that range. Um, he's like 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 Evan said, I don't see him being a bad – player and i don't see him having a, a likelihood of uh, of busting out unless his defensive abilities completely fall apart at the nhl level if you're looking at a cider sanderson or a heronic sanderson um top pairing like oh shit that's that's a force to be reckoned with in terms of overall potential but the reality is that's not where detroit's picking 
yeah. the reality is there's too many offensive pieces there. We're too it, high on in the draft order to to go after a Jake Sanderson. And yeah. even though I already pointed out that there is room for improvement on Detroit's left side, like in the system and on the actual team, I will still argue there's much bigger needs at forward right now. Oh, Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. Like <sighs> defensive ability is not easy to buy. For sure, there's actually a premium on that. But if you're a team with way, way, way too many holes, you need to fill in the most important pieces first, and that starts with scoring goals and winning games. And I would much prefer goals. us to take Jamie Drysdale, who we know can drive offense 100%. and play it. Play we can round out his defensive game. 100%. Yeah, completely agree. And it's 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 bad because we're coming out harsh on, on Sanderson, and it's not about him at all. It's about context of the team. I've I've come around him, on him a lot as a top 10 pick. I used to think it would be a bigger reach for a team, but watching his game more and more, I think that people are just a little bit slow to recognize what he could bring. I don't see him as having a huge offensive upside, although I do really, really value a complete game, and I think that's what he has. Couple that with great skating. Yeah, team in the top 10, go for it would would never blame you my preference at number four zero the likelihood at number four i would call it minimal like lowest tier likelihood of the reasonable picks in my mind i still will argue though that there might not be a prospect in this draft who got hurt by the shutdown more than sanderson though because he was fair really coming on um as everything shut down so if he was at the five nations tournament over in europe uh for u18 players he he led the tournament in scoring, not as a defense, like not for defensemen, like overall, he led the tournament in scoring. Um, he had the huge top prospects game in the States. And again, his offensive game was coming around. So if we had an extra two months of the season and we had the end of year uh, U18 Worlds, we might not be balking at him at number four at this point if he continued his the trajectory he was on. Is that likely? No, but. You just don't know, and that's what makes this draft more than most way more unpredictable. Like we we sit here preaching, oh yeah, I got my top four set, I've got my top eight set. We don't know shit because of the all the video scouting that has to go on because of the shutdown, because of the inconclusives, the in. Oh, I'm not even. I'm too tired to talk. Inconclusive. There we go. Um, but. Whatever, We're, we, I'm not ruling anything out at this possibility. I'm not ruling out Jake Sanderson going to three to Ottawa at this point, honestly. Not betting on it, but I'm not ruling it out. And he's from Whitefish, Montana. Hell of a town. <laughs> Nasty hangover from there. You actually been to Whitefish, Montana? It's beautiful. I 100% recommend going there. Who are you? Yeah, I've been to Montana and Wyoming. <laughs> You're a weird guy, man. You're a weird guy. Like Brad's weird, but you're weird. You're weird when you should. Brad should be weird. You're weird when you shouldn't be weird. Like I'm weird, but you can tell that because I speak too much and about things that don't matter. But people look at you and they expect a normal guy, and then you come out with just weird shit like that. Yeah, when I told people I was going to Wyoming for a ski trip, they uh, looked at me like I had two heads. No, last thing we need is two heads. It's more complaints from the people on YouTube. Yeah, jeez. We could have filled up the other square. That's true. <laughs> Can you imagine instead of uh, having the, like the one square at the logo, we have Evan and then another Evan just duplicated right there. Like there, we made him uh, smaller. Are you guys happy? Yeah, it's just he's just reversed staring at himself the whole time. <laughs> All 
All right, I'm going to uh, bring us to overtime here on this midweek episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, this is brought to you exclusively by uh, Patreon supporters, our Winged Wheel Podcast patrons. Uh, in addition to a lot of other cool bonuses, get their comments read out on midweek episodes exclusively as our way of saying thank you for supporting the show. Uh, we did a draw today, and Eric Schrader is the one who uh, won our Upper Deck Hockey-sponsored giveaway, which was a Dylan Larkin and a Steve Eisenman card. So congratulations, Eric. Um, you will be getting those soon. Brad is showing them on the camera on YouTube right now. Uh, and we have plenty more Upper Deck giveaways to come, including some bigger ones. So those oh. are going to be... Some most, real big ones. Like we're talking a couple hundred dollar giveaways, like big ones. Most of these are Patreon exclusive. So all of our lovely patrons, thank you so much for your automatic entries and your bonus entries for you guys who shared. Without further ado, we'll start with Dylan Krill, who says, hey, guys, do you think we could take advantage of St. Louis and package a deal with Cholosky and Picks to get Vince done? Would they even consider that? Um, is there a reality where that could happen? Yeah, because Cholosky comes in cheaper. And um, the picks would be a good sweetener. I don't know if Vince Dunn's that big of an upgrade from Chalosky, though. Again, we haven't seen what Dennis Chalosky is yet. Chalosky, what he projects as, if everything goes well, is Vince Dunn. So, yeah, you skip a step and you give a couple prospects to do it, which is fine. Uh, I mean, Vince Dunn's not old. It's not the worst bet in the world, but... I don't think I would give up much more beyond Chalosky to make that happen. But if hey, if St. Louis wants to do it for a third or a fourth, sure, I could I could see a reality where that makes sense. Is Vince done in RFA? Yes, yes. and he'll yeah, be do okay. a big raise in St. Not a big raise, but a decent raise in St. Louis if they want to keep Petrangelo. Are not going to be able to keep everybody else. Yeah, they're the other person I was thinking about when we were talking earlier about St. Louis was an Alex Steen. But guess who has a full no move, a no trade clause? I don't know. You never know the context, right? Like if those guys know the little writings on the wall, and the GM goes to them and say, "Like, hey, like, I'm sorry, we need you moved. You either waive this or you're scratched." He was born in Winnipeg, but he's technically Swedish, so you know maybe there's an opportunity there. Yeah, some mafia connections. Hey, solves our second line center problem. I mean, it doesn't. It's it's just a slightly less of a problem, but hey, you know, yeah. upgr- upgrades. Uh, filling the Islanders going into second OT. Um, awesome. James Phoenix says, good day, lads, with Jake Allen being snapped up by Montreal despite a deep goalie pool. Do you think Eisman now possibly looks outside of free agency to find a capable backup um, in case we can't find any of the uh, – attract any of the big names in free agency heard on 31 thoughts about uh columbus goalie depth and mentioned that six six monster uh daniel tarasov seems to be as far down as fifth in the columbus pecking order it might be a viable option to come in to develop um is there anyone similar that you guys uh, may have seen to be a surplus on another team keep up the great work as always and here's to lucas raymond hopefully coming in at four even though i believe goal spaghetti will get the nod either way i'll be stoked cheers boys um so, yeah, Columbus has the world of uh, Merzlikens anagrams in their system, and we could take one of them. Um, they're young. They're good. They have potential. That's the plus. Uh, they'll also probably be expensive, which is a negative. But, hey, you got to do what you got to do to get a starting goal in the NHL. I would not be surprised if Iserman waits till free agency to see what dominoes fall where, specifically in Vancouver, because Vancouver's made it no secret they really want to keep Markstrom. 
But with the Seattle expansion draft coming up, they know if they do keep Markstrom, they will lose Demko. So I would not be surprised to see that as a target for Iserman, especially considering Vancouver needs a lot of cap relief and Detroit could easily take one Louis Erickson and his six million off their books. Um, Again, until the UFA dominoes fall, I I don't know how many more moves are going to be made. I'm surprised the Montreal-St. Louis trade went down because of how much has to happen here. So those are the two that come to mind immediately, but there will be more. Um, Denny OD says, yo, my last couple comments were depressing. So here's a fun one. What player do you, or did you want as a Red Wing based solely on the name? I would love to see a trade for Dante Fabro so we can have both Fabry and Fabro. Another name I like, I really like is Maverick Bork. That's just a good hockey name. Hoping he can get to us in the second round. Cheers. Oh, I have the easiest answer here. And I think he's eligible for this draft. If I'm not mistaken, like a mid round pick. I want the Red Wings to select Gunner Wolf Fontaine. That's amazing. That's incredible. And But it's not Red Wings related. Speaking of another mid-round pick, I want the New York Rangers desperately to select Alex LaFerriere. They are different. As hell. They, they have to do it. <laughs> Um, I've always liked Victor Arvidsson. I like his name. And in terms of players who have played for the Red Wings in the past, I think a, a great name is an overall awesome hockey name is Keith Primo. I think that's just an underrated, like we take it for granted because we hear it so much, but Keith Primo is just an excellent name and he was a Red Wing. So happy about that. No, no. His brother had the better name, Wayne Primo. That's true. Uh, it seemed like someone forgot Keith's name and just guessed what the first name was, which I sometimes do. He, he plays hockey. It's pretty good. Wayne. Evan Lobsinger is a good hockey name. Oh yes. Um, yeah, I don't. I can't really think of any current players. I was like, for some reason, when I was super young, I was loved Bill Guerin. I have no idea why. I just did. Here's here's the thing. Out of the three of us, Evan's the only one with a hockey name because his name naturally shortens down to a proper hockey nickname. Without him ever telling me, I know Evan's hockey nickname was Lobs. Or lobby, lobby, or yeah, lobby, I would say lobby. Either works. Our last names don't work for that. Yours get longer you have, and more difficult. No, mine. I think you have a good name for the back of a jersey, Brad. I think Crisco is a good name, but in terms of yelling it on the ice, you're right. People, I got used to people calling me Hannah, but like every like fiftieth game I'd play, like someone on the other team would laugh and I'd be like, "What?" And they'd be like, "Hannah," and I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I forgot that's a girl's name." Yeah, it's. I've never had a nickname in hockey. I've always just been Crisco. That it just that's it. I've never heard my first name. I've never heard a nickname. Just Crisco. Lobby. It's boring. Uh, Nick Hill says, "Hey everybody, I just finished my move to Midtown for school. I'm a little disappointed that I won't be able to walk to the LCA since there's no hockey there right now. But on the bright side, yesterday I walked to the DIA and it only took about five minutes. It ended up being worth it as they had a new exhibit on Trebucket. <laughs> Detroit Institute of Arts. Highly recommend for anyone who hasn't been." Uh, Joe D'Elia says, sup guys, first off, has anyone noticed that Evan kind of looks like Alex Tuck? Yep. A little bit, eh? Yeah. Let me look. We've noticed. Might be the eyebrows. Anyways, I find myself rooting for the abs against Dallas. Are either of you guys also, I feel almost dirty or guilty for doing it, but Natty, Natty Mac is so damn fun to watch. I mean, is it even a rivalry anymore? The last event I can remember was that boarding McLeod did on Croner. And that was like, what, seven years ago? Oh, man, the Bertuzzi sucker punch, the spear on him beforehand. 
Just curious on your opinion on the rivalry. Thanks, guys. Uh, the rivalry is dead to me, honestly. It, it's fun and nostalgia, but I mean, I I can't say I'll ever be a fan of the Avs or really truly cheer for them. But God damn, do I love watching McKinnon, Landeskog, and McCarr just and Rantanen out there. They are easily the most fun team left in the playoffs to watch. So. I mean, not like I'll be jumping up and down if they win the cup, but watching McKinnon or Landy or McCarr lifted, I won't be upset about it. Yeah, it, there's just too much good hockey to be played for me to like root against them actively. If the wings are good again, I might find a way to arbitrarily revive that in my head, but for now. Uh, Chris B says, hey guys, new Patreon supporter. Welcome, Chris, and thank you for supporting the show. He says, uh, from Wisconsin, I've actually been listening to the show for four years. Uh, started listening right around when Mika was born. Oh, wow. You've been with us for a while. Your podcast helped me stay sane during countless hours of studying and research during college. Now I'm in medical school, so I'm going to need you guys even more moving forward. Well, congratulations on getting in, man. Uh, and you have a lot of hard work ahead of you, so we'll do our best to keep Ryan's it. Ryan's mother would be proud. Don't tell my mother. <laughs> do not tell my mother. <laughs> oh, man. They still think it's just a phase. Anyhow, no, seriously, that's amazing, man. And uh, uh, happy to be along with you for the ride. Um, now for my question, do you think that all of the Cole Perfetti to the Wings talk is just based off uh, Sam Cosentino speculating about the Saginaw connection on the night of the lottery? For the record, I really like the player and he might be my number one choice at fourth overall, but I find it hard to believe that the Wings are set on the pick and would let it leak that they are taking him. That's a great analysis. And I think we are, uh, we and, and a lot of media are guilty of kind of zeroing in on these things because since Eisenman has taken uh, the Red Wings general managership, he has been an iron wall. There has been absolutely nothing leaking out of that organization. Most, if not all of the connections that we had disappeared overnight. Um, and he notoriously plays things close to the chest. So you're right. We could just be focusing in on something that isn't really there. Um, it's a great point. So without any actual knowledge of the situation, here's my guess as to what happened. Obviously, a guy like Sam probably has a, a million connections around the NHL, and he probably has connections to Red Wings scouts and so on and so forth. So he could have been talking to Draper or an Ontario regional scout, and the scout could have just said something along the lines of, oh, yeah, no, we really like him. Like, we really, really like him. Doesn't mean he's the best favorite pick at four, but... If you hear a scout say that, you know, then it's very much a possibility. So you could say, hear something like that and go, oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, they they really like him. So I'll, I'll bet they take him. It could just be something like that. But then things change. Maybe Stutzla falls. I, I don't know. There's a million things that could change that. But I don't think it comes from nowhere. But I don't read everything into it either. Jake Nagy says, curious to see what your thoughts are uh, related to Lafreniere and Rossi opting to wait to play in the NHL versus Raymond and Holtz opting to play in the Swedish league. What kind of bearing could this have on the draft, particularly particularly at the number four spot? The way I read this is uh, Raymond and Holtz are guys who know that they are supremely talented, should or could be going in the top five and want to work to improve their draft stock and uh, get a little bit more exposure. Uh, Lafreniere and Rossi are guys who know that they are ready to play in the NHL next year, at least in their minds, don't want to risk the injury, know they'll be drafted really high and so, or at least reasonably believe it. And so don't want to, you know, go out and get hurt instead want to focus and train, uh, for training camp and try to make the team the year after. So I completely understand it from both sides. 
Yeah. I mean, Lafreniere, it's a no brainer. He's playing before the draft does him nothing. It It's not going to hurt. It's not going to help his draft stock. Well, it could hurt if he gets hurt. Um, but even then he'd still get picked first overall, but if he gets hurt, then he can't play for the Rangers. So makes sense for him. Rossi, I, I'm a little more surprised because I don't think he's a lock to make the NHL this year. Um, but at the same time, if he wants to play in North America at the NHL or even the AHL level, yeah, then it makes sense. RC Tendy says, let's put our tinfoil hats on for a second. The SHL season starts before the draft. The DEL season starts after. Raymond absolutely tears it up and gets taken third by Ottawa. Wings get Stutzla and the bromance between him and Sider grows uh, in Detroit and all is good. Or Ottawa will still take Stutzla and we take Raymond who absolutely torched the arguably third best league in the world. It's a win-win. Or LA takes Stutzla and that all goes to shit. Uh, yeah but hey raymond auto has been linked to raymond just like detroit's been linked to perfetti so if you believe that kind of thing if dutzla goes too you never know i'm not betting on it michael Byfield. michael barry says hey guys fun question if the wings drafted zegris or cousins last year which were uh consensus picks at that point would you want to draft drysdale this year i know next year's defense heavy but uh ratu and gunther are pretty good have a good one also, if the Jets want to trade Line A for Larkin, would you say yes? Pure hypothetical. Larkin has three years left at 6.1. Line A has one more year at 6.7. Uh, no, I would prefer to keep Larkin at this point. And if we didn't take Sider last year, I would still prefer to take a forward here just because I think there are better play- they are better players than Drysdale. I, have- I flip-flop Drysdale anywhere from 6 to 8 on my personal list. So if I'm... If he's in that range for me, I'm not taking him at four, no matter what the positional need is. Like the Hobbits say, why not second forward? <laughs> yeah, for real. With Have they not heard of second forward. forward? Yeah. All I see is Gaines says, so Ryan, your Matthias Brome pronunciation is better than your Pavel Datsuk voice. What's up with that? Uh, I think it's because I grew up in a an Arab family. And so all of my accents just slowly morph into Arab, no matter what accent I'm trying to do. Um, real question is Rossi too close to his ceiling to be considered by the wings. Let's go red wings or even better. Come again, red wings come again. Um, yeah, that's a real possibility that Rossi could be closer to his ceiling the same way we, we had that criticism of Brady Kachuk. I think similarly, it could be applied to Rossi here. I mean, he is closer to his ceiling because he's a year older. Um, but he also did win the OHL scoring title over the likes of Quinton Byfield, Cole Perfetti, etc. So if we're talking about who's the better player of all of them today, well, I, I would argue Rossi's the second best player in this draft right now, but you don't draft guys based on right now. So yeah, I, I think Rossi's close to a ceiling. I still think he's got room to grow. It's just the guys below him have more room to grow, which is why you start flip-flopping him. But I don't think that should um, prohibit Detroit from taking him at four. I mean, he's he's going to be a great player either way. So uh, it factors into the, their decision, but I don't think it's the defining dis- what's going to define that decision. Alex Ott says, for the realistic picks the Wings could have, give me a reason they should draft them and two reasons they shouldn't. Let's say the players are. So we'll do these one at a time. Raymond, this, oh, reason so they gotta, should draft. So one good reason and two reasons they shouldn't? Yeah. Oh, man. Um, okay, Very so quick. Raymond? Yeah. Elite at many things, weak at none. 
Yeah, reasons they shouldn't. Tiny. Winger. He's winger, small, small. Smallish. Drysdale. Um, unbelievable skater and hockey mind. And positional need right-handed defenseman might be the only one that they don't need right now and not I'm a McCarr-level defenseman. Not sold on his offensive upside being as elite as people make it out to be. Rossi uh, could be an elite two-way center. Reasons to not could have to flip to wing and small. Yes. Stutzla. Um, unbelievable hand skating vision. Poor defensively and uh, needs to get stronger. Might not translate. Perfetti. Um, elite, 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 elite hockey IQ for the reason too. Uh, not a great skater. Plays slow. Joseph Fournier uh, says, hey there, fellas. Justin Bourne is hot on crew coming to Detroit, but the crew at Hockey Central thinks he stays in Boston. I thought so, too, until I saw his recent tweet thanking Boston. He's gone. If he comes to Detroit, then maybe uh, they maybe might contend in five to seven years. If he wants to win now, who doesn't? What current contender in their window has a cap space to sign him and make sense for both? Oh, I haven't even looked. Yeah, I haven't been looking outside the market. One, I'm so happy Tory Krug came out and said he's not taking a short-term deal, so it will shut up the segment of the Detroit Red Wings fan base that say, yeah, but what if he takes a two? No, he's not taking a two-year deal. It was a stupid idea from the start, and now that he said it's a stupid idea, can we please stop the, oh, it makes sense if he comes to Detroit on a short-term deal. No, it doesn't, and you're not signing a guy who's 30 years old to a long-term deal when you're rebuilding. Um, you know what team would have made a ton of sense for him before they ate up more cap space? Montreal. <laughs> um, but hey, whatever. Hear me uh, out. Hear me out. Nashville. Ah, they've got <laughs> they have the and Craig him? Smith coming off the books, and that's ten million dollars. But uh, and the then they moved tourists to Detroit. Boom, there's 16 million bucks short up a year. Anaheim makes sense to me. Yeah, who doesn't want to live over on the West Coast? Sign Tory Krug, send Turris and one of your current defensive core to Detroit. Bam. Uh, Fabric. Who doesn't want to live in Detroit? Come on. Yeah. Come on. Screw Any thoughts Anaheim. on Tyler Bozak possibly being a cap, t- cap dump to Detroit? Also, the Islanders have been more fun to watch than the Flyers. St. Louis still needs Tyler Bozak, and St. Louis has worse cap dumps that they could do. He also has a modified no trade. Uh, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, the official cheese bag of Mark Bergevin. Want to blow almost 20% of your cap space in net? Store it in a Stay Fresh Cheese Bag till you make a nonsense trade for a goalie you could have easily found a cheaper equivalent of in free agency. Uh, And with that, we are going to wrap up this episode because Evan is in desperate need of a Kleenex. Thank you to all of you who have tuned in and listened. Uh, Our Patreon supporters, our name level sponsors, the septic tank of that bitch, Carol Baskins, Greech, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer, 2020 sucks sweaty balls. And his comment was actually just the word redacted. Uh, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M, Matthew M Rice, Luke Johnson, Kalen Wood, Hassam Alkasem, Arjun Shanker, Charlie Elkins, Hana Lee, Trevor Pevavar, Alex Ott, Ashley Van Conant, Chris Frank, Connor Leighton, Matthew Keeler, Simon 
Simon Anderson, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all. Happy belated birthday to Joseph Fournier. Take care, and we will see you on Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.